0: Well, thank you, Ivan and Worship Team. Isn't that it's just beautiful that again we are singing and we're praying at the same time, and uh, the essence really of worship, focusing on Him. Right? Um, I think so. Often in our in our music, in our singing, we can get very focused on ourselves, and uh, so that was. That was wonderful to be able to to concentrate on on him. Well, today I'd like to share with you a story. And a familiar story to probably most of you. It might be new for some. But either way, I just pray that God um, would teach us, would show us, would direct us. He has something, I believe, for us today in this story. So this is the story of Jacob. So we'll begin with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Abraham's wife, Sarah, miraculously conceives a child in her old age, and they name him Isaac. Isaac is a child of the promise, the sign of the covenant God made with his people. When Isaac is 40, he marries Rebekah. And they have to wait 20 long years before Rebecca finally becomes pregnant and she's carrying twin boys. God reveals his sovereign plan for the twins in Genesis 25. It says, "At this time the Lord told Rebecca, two nations are in your womb, two peoples will be separated from your body. The one will be stronger than the other. The elder will serve the younger." So the Bible says that these boys jostled or wrestled in the womb. That's a sign that there was conflict from conception. Esau was born first, came out red all over like a hairy garment. That's what his name means, hairy or red. Pretty good, huh? And then um, Jacob, the second born, he came out with his hand holding on Esau's heel. Jacob means... Holy known to Esau's heel. No, heel grabber, the grabber of the heel, or he supplants. Another clue to the rivalry that would develop between these two brothers. Jacob also means the seas. And sadly, this is the character trait that Jacob will be known for. Esau grows up to be a hunter. He's the outdoors guy, the man's man. Jacob's described as a, a quiet man. He likes to stay close to home, probably a little too close to his overly protective mother, who is basically determined to make this boy's life a success. Genesis 25, 28 states, now Isaac loved Esau because he ate his venison. Rebecca loved Jacob. Hmm. Well, I think most of us know that when parents pick a favorite child, it's going to cause some pretty serious family problems. As the oldest son, Esau enjoyed the privileges of the firstborn. He had a birthright. And a birthright means he was going to receive a double portion of the inheritance from his father. And he was also going to be the next in line to be the head of the family. Pretty cool. Then he also got a blessing. The blessing from his father. This is really important. This is a special covenant relationship with the Lord. And he is now going to be in line, right? That's going to be leading to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And of course, our salvation. Birthright, blessing. So back to Jacob. Remember, Jacob's a deceiver. So he devises this plan. He's going to steal the birthright from his brother. Esau, excuse me, comes home after a hunting trip. And he's starving. And so Jacob basically is offering to save his life. What a wonderful brother. On oh, one condition. Just one condition. See, I'll trade you this food for your birthright. What a deal. Esau accepts it. He accepts the deal, sells it to Jacob for a bowl of stew. There's probably lentil stew at that. I mean, who would sell anything for lentils? And then this is really significant. All humor aside, I mean, what, what Esau was basically doing was rejecting the God of his father. He was like selling his soul. See, so there's no question what Jacob did. Uh, was wrong. It was cruel. But see, that is an excuse. Esau, Esau, for his willful decision, he had only himself to blame. And God will hold him responsible. Hebrews 12, 16, 17, I won't turn there, but the author of Hebrews says that Esau was godless because of what he did, because of what he chose to do. That's a sobering truth. We are held responsible for our actions. Later on, with the help from his mother, again, Rebecca, Jacob also decides to deceive his elderly, blind father, Isaac. Deceive him into believing that he is Esau so that he can get the blessing. He dresses in Esau's clothes, so he's got to smell like Esau. And then he puts uh, goat skin on his neck and on his arms so that he's going to feel like Esau. All hairy, right? Hey, Dad, it's me. Your favorite son with your favorite venison stew. Well, Isaac, I mean, he's blind, he's old, but something's not right. So he questions, is it really you, Esau? So Jacob, of course, has to lie. Um, and then, it really stood out to me in the text, and then he kisses his father. And of course, this is culturally relevant. It's the custom, but it, to me, it's a kiss of betrayal. Just like Judas gave the kiss to Jesus. See, Isaac is tricked, and he's tricked into giving Jacob, Esau's blessing. Getting confused there with Jacob and Esau? Hope not. Wow. I mean, what a horrible thing to do. And it it really was. And Jacob would pay a horrible price for what he did. And it comes no surprise. So when Esau discovers the treachery, he is crushed. He goes to his father begging him, Please give me the blessing. Give it to me. But it can't. It can't be undone. It can't be reversed. Devastated that he has lost everything, Esau determines to kill Jacob. So, Rebekah warns Jacob of Esau's plan to murder him, tells him, flee far away. Go to my brother Laban. So, Jacob flees to save his life. So now Jacob has journeyed 500 miles. It's a long ways to go on foot. till he finally reaches Uncle Laban's. And there he meets Rachel. The love of his life to get married and live happily ever after. Some of you know the story. (laughs) No, not quite. Jacob actually has to make a deal with Uncle Laban, right? Because that's Rachel's father. He has to work for him for seven years so he can have Rachel as his wife. Laban, however, deceives or tricks the deceiver, the trickster. On the wedding night, Laban switches the younger sister for the older sister. You follow me? Now, see, I'm not sure how this could happen. Very dark night, very thick veil. Probably too much wine at the wedding. Anyhow, long story short, Jacob ends up married to Leah in the morning. Whoops! surprise! <laughs> and, and not Rachel. Hmm. Now, he does get to marry Rachel also. And it has to add another seven years of work debt to Uncle Laban to pay for her. Hmm. Now, you can imagine... Being married to two sisters at the same time could present its own set of problems. Rachel and Leah live in this like stolen love triangle with Jacob. It's marked by serious envy and jealousy. And they engage in this fierce competition of who can actually have the most babies by Jacob. Wow. There's a lot of drama in the family. Nonetheless, through this family, with all their bad choices, bad behavior, are born the children that will one day form the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. See, in all this, God, God is sovereign. And his sovereign plan once again prevails. Now on the business side of things, Laban tries to trick Jacob into a plan that will multiply Laban's sheep herd. Good plan. Ah, Jacob's clever, though. He sees it coming. He actually turns the trick back on Laban. And he becomes rich at Laban's expense. Hmm. Going pretty good until Je- uh, sorry. Laban's sons catch on to what's happening. And they tell Dad. And now the storm is brewing. Time for Jacob to leave town. So, he gathers up his wives, his kids, his herds, and he flees just like he had fled from Esau. Laban pursues Jacob. It takes him seven days to catch up to him. Seven long days. And you can only imagine what kind of mood Laban's in. I mean, these are his daughters and his grandchildren. You do not mess with grandchildren. Amen. Amen. God intervenes. And he basically tells Laban, "Um, don't cause any problems with Jacob. Don't say anything good. Don't say anything bad. Just leave him alone. Thankfully, he does. Jacob is once again spared. The two men are able to come to a covenant agreement or a peace treaty. And they go their separate ways on good terms. So things are really looking up for Jacob now. Things are on. This is the bright side. It's time. God had told him time to go home. So he's headed home. He's going to see his parents. Oh, and Esau. See, Jacob had just been delivered from Laban, and now he has to face his greatest fear—the brother that he has wronged. So Jacob, being a smart guy, he is. He sends messengers to Esau in an attempt to reconcile. And the messengers return with the news that Esau is actually coming to meet him with 400 men. Jacob panics. Esau is coming to kill me. And with a good reason. So he sends out messengers again with this huge gift of livestock and hoping to appease the wrath of Esau. And it's probably really another attempt by Jacob to kind of take control of things, work another clever plan, maybe buy his brother's good favor. Jacob had a first uh, nighttime encounter with God back 20 years ago in Bethel, back when he was fleeing Esau's anger. And now, on this night, he has a second encounter with God. When he's seeking reconciliation with Esau. And he reaches out to God in prayer. And he reminds God of his promises. His promise to bless him. And then he confesses that he's really so unworthy of this kindness and faithfulness. And then he closes the prayer with these words. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother. From the hand of Esau, for I fear him. In Jesus' name, Amen. He can say that. So our story brings us to Genesis 32. We'll look at the text there. If you have your Bibles, and the verse will be up on the screen. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So that night, Jacob... Sends the wife and the kids and the herds over the Jebuk River. And the Jebuk River is a major tributary into the Jordan River. It's located about 23 miles north of the Dead Sea. It's only 50 miles long, but it descends 2,000 feet. Its waters flow swiftly during the wet season. So many of its parts, it runs through this deep gorge and, and really steep banks. And so to, to lead this large flock, herd... Of sheep, cattle, etc. Over the Jabbok was really, most likely a really difficult task. So you can imagine after Jacob did all that, he's physically and emotionally spent. He separated himself from his family, from his servants, from his livestock, right? Which is all of his wealth in the world. We pick up verse 24. So Jacob was left all alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. He's all alone. He's in the dark. Maybe he's thinking, I'm going to get a little sleep by himself. Bam! Out of nowhere, this guy's blindsided. I don't know what he thought. Maybe at first he thought it was was Esau. His wrestling partner ambushed him. And the truth is, the truth is that, see, Jacob had been wrestling all of his life, not only with his brother, but with his father, with his father-in-law, and no doubt with many others. And we actually learn in this text that this isn't just a man. Jacob is actually wrestling With God. Now, was it literally God in the flesh? Was it pre-incarnate Christ? Could be. was it an angelic being? Could be. I don't know. And in some ways, I don't know if it really matters. The point is that Jacob is now in a one-on-one hand-to-hand, face-to-face wrestling match with God and God alone. No one to deceive. No one he could blame. No one he could call to help him. Mom's not there anymore. He's all alone with this wrestling partner. You know, and... It says in our text that Jacob didn't wrestle with a man, but that the man wrestled with him till daybreak. That just blows me away. God initiated the wrestling match. I don't know how it was for you dads, but I've been on the couch before, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm watching TV and boom, the kid comes out of the kitchen and nails me. We're on the floor wrestling. That's how it's supposed to happen. But how many times do you have the kid sitting on the couch and dad comes? and ah. Jacob didn't start out wanting something from God. God wanted something from him. It could be that God wanted all of Jacob's pride, all of his control, all of his scheming, all of his deceiving, and he was going to take it and take it by force if he had to. You see, God could have touched Jacob's hip in the first five minutes, but he didn't. He waited. He, he wrestled with them all night long. Again, I remember doing that with my kids. You know, I kind of holding my hand out there. We go on and on and on. You give up? Nope. He let him struggle all night long. His self-reliance, I believe, had to be broken. He had to be crippled in order for his reliance, trust, and confidence to be totally in God. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched him. Where am I? Verse 25. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Verse 26. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. So the wrestling partner Tells Jacob to let go because the sun's coming up. One commentator says that the danger is that Jacob cannot see God and live. That's from Exodus thirty-three nineteen 19 and 20. If Jacob holds on to daybreak, he's a dead man. And God's not going to let that happen. But Jacob is reduced to the place for all he can do now. He can't win this thing. All he can do is hold on. Hold on to the Lord with everything he has. Jacob couldn't fight, but he could hold on. And hold on, he did. That's not a bad place to be, is it? Remember how Jacob had prayed that God would protect him from his brother? Yet I believe that before before Jacob could be delivered from the hand of his brother, he had to be delivered from his own self-will and self-reliance. He knew he was going down to the mat for the cow. So he grabs his opponent in this kind of death grip and he won't let go. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. In his weakness... He will prevail. While he was strong, he won not the blessing, but when he became utter weakness, then did he conquer. A.W. Tozer The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. Back to our text, verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. What's your name? What's your name? And he answered, Jacob, I'm Jacob, the heel grabber. I'm Jacob, the trickster, the overreacher, the supplanter. I'm Jacob, the deceiver. See, Jacob was forced to say his name and all that it had come to mean with all of his connotations. And God replies, he replies to Jacob. He answers with, in two things, doing two things. And I believe it's kind of a two-part blessing. The first thing is he gives Jacob a new name. Israel. Struggles with God or really God wrestler. See, now that you're in a place to acknowledge that I'm the source of your life, protection and all blessing. I give you that name that means you have wrestled with God and with men and you prevail. Jacob prevailed in the sense that he endured. He endured his struggle with God and let God thoroughly conquer him. He learned that when you battle with God, you only win by losing and not giving up until you know you've lost. Jake will go away from this wrestling match uh, that he had with God with a new name. Precious name Israel. A new identity. A new beginning. Now with God to side, he could wrestle. He really could wrestle other men like Esau. But in a whole new way. Verse 29. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, so, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. So first God gives him a new name. And then God allows Jacob to see him face to face and live. Jacob asks his opponent, what's your name? You know, please, please tell me your name. And I think we understand that that he knew. He knew his opponent was God. God deflects the question by responding with a question. (laughs) Why is it that you ask my name? And we know from other texts like uh, Judges, 13, 7, that you can't ask God his name. It's too wonderful. It's beyond your understanding. I don't have to respond to you, God says. Just know that I am who I am. And Jacob understood that it was only by God's mercy he escaped from the encounter with his life. No man should be allowed to wrestle with God and live. I mean, he not only survived, he got to see God. Peniel, that was the place, a place he'd never forget. What a testimony to the amazing love and the amazing grace of God. Jacob obtained his father's blessing by deceit. But God is giving the blessing God is giving the blessing now, fully aware of Jacob's identity and Jacob's character. God knows who he is, and he accepts him anyhow. This is an imitation of intimacy and oneness with his creator. The one who spared his life was going to be with him today, as as he, fearing for his life, goes out to meet Esau. Verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The sun is rising, and Jacob is walking towards Esau, but he's got a limp. God graced Jacob, not just with a new name, but with a perpetual limp. Jacob would remember his being conquered by God and now living in communion with God every step he took for the rest of his life. That's a small price to pay for such a great gift. Well, I want to read the rest of the story here. How does this end up with Esau? For those of you who don't know the story, you're probably wondering. Chapter 33, 1 through 11. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went out ahead and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and the children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel. And they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I have met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Oh, what a what an amazing story. What an amazing story of God's protection. What an amazing story of his grace. It's interesting, verse 10, that word gift. So when Jacob is sending gifts to his brother, that's actually the same word for blessing. So in a way, he was able to give back the blessing he had stolen 20 years earlier. And then he says, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you receive me favorably. Because I wrestled with God. I don't have to wrestle with you. I can see God through you. Through your mercy. Through your grace. How good is that? God answered his prayer. So believe it or not, I wrestled a lot with this passage. There are so many different ways to look at it. So many lessons that one can take from it. And so this morning I have just shared what I've been gleaning from it. But my prayer is for you. That as you meditate on this wonderful story of Jacob. And his God encounter. Let him speak to your heart. Now, what is he saying to you? How does he want you to apply passages like this to your life? And again, you're going to have different takeaways, very possibly. Here are just a, a few um, that I have. When you wrestle with God, no, he's in control. He has this perfect plan. He has a plan of redemption that he's been unrolling all through history. And he will use us. He will use our will. And he will use our actions. He will not necessarily condone our will or our actions. But he will use them to accomplish his purpose. No, he's in control. When you wrestle with God, no. He is wrestling you. I hope this is good news. He not only permits our struggling, our struggling with Him, but He also at times initiates it. You know, wrestling often takes place when it's really dark, when we're really alone, and oftentimes when we're afraid. And he'll wrestle with you. He'll wrestle with you all night long. Or longer. Until you are where he wants you. Know he is intimately involved in your life and your trials. Because Emmanuel loves you that much to do that. He is wrestling you. When you wrestle God, no, no, he might need to break you. See, he will cripple any, any form of self-reliance in order that your reliance is totally upon Jesus Christ. See, this is the essence of, of true humility. He will touch your strength, whatever that is, Take note of that. We talk a lot about what are our strengths and our gifts. I believe he will touch your strength so you will depend on him. Death to self, taking up our cross daily, is life in Christ. There's no other way. And whatever he needs to do, because again, he loves us so much that he might need to break us. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. So then I will boast most gladly upon my weakness, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ, For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So after your God encounter, after you have wrestled with him, if you find yourself walking away with a limp, it's a powerful sign. It's a gift he's given you. It shows that you've been broken. You've been humble before him. So now that you can go out with him. See, now he is going to wrestle with you, but in a whole different way. He's going to wrestle with you in the sense he's going to wrestle beside you and for you as you go out to face your Esau. He's there. He used to stay there before you even got there. When you wrestle with God, know he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Don't run. Don't hide. And whatever you do, once you grab hold of God, don't let go. Cry out, I will not let go until you bless me. I won't let go until you bless me. And He will. I believe that. He will bless you. And so when you wrestle with God, no. Know he has given you a new name. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are his child. You are his ambassador. You are his precious saint. Just bask in that good news for a bit, would you? Just bask in that knowledge of who you are in him, in that new name. Bask in the good news that God engages us as we are, and having named our name, preserves us in order to transform us. And finally, when you wrestle with God, know He will let you see Him face to face. That's good news. And we know one day, literally, we will we pass from this life into the next, oh, what a day that will be when we can actually see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. And we won't die (laughs) because we'll be living Oh, eternally. But spiritually speaking, he wants you to know that you can see him right now. Face to face. He wants you to believe that through your trials, God desires you. He is drawing you to Himself so that you'll choose to focus on Him and not on your fears. It's not about Esau, it's not about Laban, it's not about anything else. It's about focusing on Him. Our trials are not accidental or haphazard but they're part of God's sovereign plan to make us into his image, to conform us in his image, and we become more like Jesus. Now, this is the good news of the gospel. My brother, my sister, you are totally secure right now in your inheritance. You have the birthright. You have the blessing in Christ. No one can steal it from you. Satan himself can't pluck you out of the Father's hand, can he? You are secure in him. You are his, eternally his. And he wants you to live that. He wants you to live that right now. That abundant life that Jesus promised that we could have. And if you're here today or you're hearing me or watching this I, I just pray if you haven't come to that place of giving your life over to Jesus Christ oh I just pray that you won't wait to know that he loves you so much that he went to the cross for you he died on the cross to pay for all of your sin, that you could have complete forgiveness in him, that you could stand clean before him, the Holy One. You could be his. You can be his child today, right now. I pray that you, I pray that you would do that. If that's your desire, then uh, by all means, talk to me after the service. Talk to somebody else. Just don't leave. Don't leave today before you've made that decision, that you have that security in him. He he wants to wrestle you. He wants you to struggle with him. We are in difficult days. We are in great turmoil. And I pray that that would cause us to look to him. Even if it means (laughs) we might have to walk away with a limp. Mm -hmm. Oh, to know him. To know of his love. To know of his grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this wonderful story of Jacob. Wonderful story about you. and how intentional you were to engage in Jacob's life, how you chose him, how you used him. Oh, wonderful, Lord, but we want to apply it to our lives as well, that you have chosen us and that you have a plan for us and that you want to use us. And, Lord, to do that, Lord, we need to be totally surrendered to you broken by you, Lord, if necessary, that all of our reliance will be transferred from us to you. Then, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And may we go out with your love. May we go out with the gospel and proclaim you To all that so need to know you. The ones you're drawing, and thank you so much, again, for all that we have in you. We praise you and thank you in Christ Jesus. Amen.